Hello and welcome to the Attuned Podcast, where we support heart-led freethinkers and dive into topics like movement practice and embodied philosophy. If you're a serial dot connector, always feeling into threads of truth through sense, feeling, movement, interaction, and relationships, then you're in the right place here. There's a community of people just like you across the globe, all looking for the sweet nectar of existence. And this is a place for us to share it. Today's guest on the podcast is Tom Ahern. Tom is a great man. He's a prolific podcaster and writer. He puts out a tremendous amount of high quality, authentic content based on years of self-inquiry, research, me-search, <laughs> as he calls it. And we talk about all things philosophy, science, religion, and spirituality, especially the symbolism, which carries across between all of these areas. Uh, we really both have this thing in common where we don't like to get caught up in the potholes of language, but rather we try and see what the language is pointing at, what it's really saying. Tom is highly skilled at this. He's a super interesting guy. We first met in 2015 as CrossFit coaches, and back then I'm sure we had no idea how much we had in common, if we even did have that much in common. But over our parallel journeys in the last six years or so, I've come to see that this guy is uh, this guy's one to watch. He's one to follow, one to learn from. And I'd highly encourage you to listen to his podcasts. If you find anything interesting here, email me at hello at attuned.space or direct message me on Instagram at underscore attuned. But I will leave Tom's details in the description. And without further ado, let's dig in. Welcome aboard, Tom. Thanks for having me, mate. A little bit of a background for those of you who don't know Tom or don't follow him at the moment. Um, this guy is prolific with, with content, <laughs> with uh, his level of consistency with writing and with podcasting. Um, and what's drawn me to your work, mate, is that you seem to cover so many different aspects of psychology, philosophy, religion, um, the body, like you're an embodied dude too, you know, you I remember meeting you when you used to bang weights at CrossFit and coach um, and you tie all this stuff together so well. So yeah, I'm really looking forward <laughs> to chatting to you. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you and I are on such a similar wavelength with this kind of thing, you know, and I think it's easy to tie things together, all the different aspects of a life um, and of a self when you view life conceptually as just a, a journey you know, and um, that way, it, you know, it doesn't feel like, you know, and maybe this is highlight, highlighted in my content, but it, it, it certainly doesn't feel like, you know, these aspects are all separate from who I am um, as an individual, just trying to find my way and, 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 um, and, and, and practice life because life is a practice, you know? So, you know, I'm really interested in, in MMA now and, and jujitsu and kickboxing um, and I view that as a, as a lesson and a teaching. And I also view my, my spirituality as a teaching and, and writing and reading and podcasting as a teaching and learning from people. So you see it all, if you step back far enough and you see it all as a big lesson, um, then kind of all interweaves into a, into, co into a coherent structure. So I'm glad that that is what it's like on the outside. <laughs> yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, the coherence comes through and the fact that it's uh, this zoomed out but not reduced or oversimplified picture um yeah i really love that uh, when did it become when did it become like a 
a journey or an obvious process of learning from everything for you? Was there a specific point? I mean, there was a specific point, um, kind of like a, probably like a single um, or series of panic attacks in my, in my early 20s. And I think that's where I had this. So I'm, ju- I'm actually currently now just editing the final edit of book number three. I'm not going to release this for a while because we just released book number two. But uh, I'm writing about this, this anecdote of someone who kind of falls into greater conscious awareness you know, so you're kind of walking on this naive ground and then bang, something happens. And all of a sudden, the world is a different place to you, psychologically speaking. And that was, that was mm. very, something that happened to me, you know, I had a panic attack about the afterlife and, and suffering in, in hell and all this kind of thing. And it was really bubbling and boiling from my childhood. So from that moment, life became a real, you know, oh, okay, I've kind of, you know, from a li- religious perspective, fallen out of the Garden of Eden, I'm kind of at a closer awareness of reality as it Mm. continues to evolve and uh became a a teaching from that point because well i firstly had to learn uh how to calm down from panic attacks so not being in a 10 out of 10 heightened state to maybe an 8 out of 10 that was a lesson for me how do i do this do i focus on my breathing do i change my physiological state do i do something like that you know and then how do i get it from an eight to a six progressively until uh, anxiety was no longer an issue for me, but a, a, an emotion I could dance with, you know, and um, even that was a lesson, you know, learning that anxiety would be with me for the rest of my life. That was a difficult thing to learn. Um, so how do I dance with that in, into adulthood? And then growing and growing and growing, you start to get a, um, a love of, of anxiety because it teaches you where your lessons are. And so now it's kind of grown out to, well, now I have fears of, of being hit and being knocked out. So what's MMA going to look like for me? Or I have tear, you know, um, fears of expressing myself authentically. So what's writing a book going to be like? But yeah, to answer your question, it definitely came from those initial panic attacks. Yeah, yeah. So there was, what I'm getting is there was this kind of maybe a moment, maybe a collection of moments where your existence went from something that fell within anxiety at a particular point in time to a reframing where it's like, okay, here's, here's Tom. Tom is now a bigger picture and anxiety perhaps will always be part of that picture. But now it's just another part, another color on the canvas. Right. Yeah. Well, this is something you and I were talking about just before the show. Hey, um, that idea that, you know, I love that quote that you put up this idea of outgrowing problems, you know, and then you finish off really well by saying, you know, so you think of a problem that's so grand that the world is going to thank you for it. It's a lovely idea because, the, the, the really interesting people are, are those that can contain a problem and say, look, look, this is a problem. This is a really big problem. And, and not only that's a problem, but I'm going to be the one that's going to at least try to do something about it. It's a really, really wonderful thing for someone to do. And for me, um, anxiety became not so much of a problem anymore because it was so, so integrated into my life. You know, in many different ways, I deal with it um, on a day-to-day basis because I'm, I'm, uh, you know, I don't particularly enjoy getting choked out on the jujitsu mats, but I have to contend with that kind of fear. I have to contend with putting myself out there on the internet. I have to contend with being a partner um, to Siobhan, you know, my, my girlfriend, and, and making sure that I'm doing things around here that make us work together and I'm going to fail and she's going to fail. And so anxiety is a part of my life now. So the problems that currently exist in my life, um, you know, are, are much more, 
um, worthwhile contending with based upon who I am now, as compared to when anxiety was the, 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 you know, the monster um, at the end of the video game, the big, big Bowser. So it just changes, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Bowser. Yeah. That's a, that's a good one. Um, yeah. So it's just, it's just healthier relationships, right? And just making it all a, a part of self and, and saying, I'm going to choose a version of self, which encompasses and, outgrows all of these fears right absolutely yeah Dude. yeah i mean yeah it was difficult because i uh you know there, there were definitely moments where like i said before i was like fuck i'm gonna have to deal with this shit for the rest of my life you know and then now it's given that that is inevitable how do i live as opposed to mm. i wish reality was somehow different <laughs> yeah. <You know? laughs> yeah it's like now that now that it's settled that this is how it's going to go down. But in the end, there are going to be problems and they're probably going to be pretty big. How do I, how do I reconcile that with, with exactly. being a productive, happy human being in the present? hundred <laughs> percent. I'm just, um, I have so much respect for you for, for taking on these problems and like fully diving into them and um, yeah, not just sweeping them under the rug. Um, but I suppose even then sweeping them under the rug is not something that we can always bank on forever. And I think maybe <laughs> I hope that through practice or through learning and through conversations like these, I can reach a point in time where I'm a little bit less caught off guard when, when shit finally does, does hit the fan. Although, although I know we can't always be prepared for everything. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And I think we can be prepared, you know, viscerally for, for, for an experience. I mean, I could rationally say, things that I'm not prepared for that will happen that I'm not looking forward to. I mean, I've never had a, you know, the, the, the person who is closest to me who's passed away was my grandma um, in 2013 and she lived in Adelaide. So I never really developed a close relationship to her. So I've been very lucky in a sense that no one close to me has passed away yet. Um, and that's a, that's a traumatic experience that I'll obviously don't have to contend with. So there are, there are aspects of my life that, um, I think I've really looked deep into and, um, you know, I'm trying to avoid the 45 year old existential crisis, buying a Ferrari type stuff. Um, but there are other things that will happen eventually that I, you know, I think from a rational perspective, I'm ready for, because I, I, I read a lot about dying and, I, and I'm trying to develop a close relationship with death. Um, but viscerally and emotionally, I think that's just going to be difficult for me. And it's going to, I'm going to have to spend a lot of time, uh, you know, with myself processing those emotions, because if you don't do that, if you sweep the carpet, if you sweep it all under the rug, um, you know, it'll come out in, 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 uh, in really negative ways. Yeah. Yeah. This, something about this reminds me of, um, this is a bit of a random tangent, but it is related that the manifestation of, of Shiva um, called like, yeah. I think Kala, by Rava or something. And it's basically like time or the, this entity of Shiva, who is kind of the, the deconstructor or the destroyer in Hindu religion, for those of you who might not have got into this. Um, and this entity is capable of clearing all of your karma, clearing all of your, your lifetimes of suffering and, and all of your worldly stickiness in an instant. But this guy does so in a very painful, very intense, very sudden way. Um, and it's one of those things where we're deciding, do we want to meet this guy <laughs> uh, in doses? <laughs> do we want to try and yeah. sort of process um, 
before the event or are we just going to rely on somehow managing when uh, when it does happen um yeah yeah it's a, it's a it's a good point you know um what what i love about psychology is that the same idea um manifests itself in many different forms um in many different industries and practices you know and shiva as the creator and the destroyer you know i see that as as time creator and destroyer of all things um very similar to what psychologists talk about um, the difference between gradual progressive exposure therapy and, and, and what they um, call flooding. So this idea mm. of just exposing yourself directly to the source of the fear in the hope that that one incredibly difficult moment will, will, will um, build up the courage in you to, to take on what, what, what you're afraid of. Now I, I like gradual exposure therapy. I like the very practical idea of, well, if I'm, afraid of cats, um, set the bar low, but just challenging enough so that I don't re-traumatize myself because re-traumatization doesn't get you anywhere. It gets you two steps further back. Mm. You know, if I, have a, if I had a traumatic experience, let's we'll put cats over there for a second. <laughs> if I was bitten by a dog <laughs> when I was eight. So I've developed a, a fear, um, an anxiety disorder from, from, from dogs, very fair as well. Um, based upon a traumatic incident when I was eight years old. Um, you know, I don't think it would be right as a 24 year old just to throw someone in a room with a dog and just go, here we go, mate, go for your life. You know, um, I think it would be an idea to bring it back to, to an area that's challenging. Can you pat a dog? No, okay. Can you look at a dog from another side of the fence? No. Can you look at a picture of the dog? Yes, but it's uncomfortable. Cool, okay, that's where we're at. Let's do it for two seconds, enough. 10 seconds next week, 30 seconds, build it out till eventually you're patting a dog and you've got two as pets, right? Mm. That idea is a much saner way of dealing with life. And this is something that I learned um, through float tanks and uh, unfortunately through psychedelics as well, flooding, going crazy, you know, and from our experiences as coaches, trying to do a, a, a 200 kilo bench press and you've never done bench presses in your life before, why not start at 40 kilos? Why not get the technique right? Have a micro dose, you know, spend 10 minutes mm. in a float. Slow it down to what's challenging for you so that you can adapt appropriately. And these lessons, you know, are really great as we continue on in the journey of life, you know, but I, I love that difference between, I know I took your Shiva example and rang with it. No, um, it's good. But, uh, it's a great example, you know, um, progression. Yeah, yeah, totally, totally. Um, and funny you mentioned the, the dog example and having been bitten because my dog uh, probably feels much the same way about dogs as you have yeah. in the past. Yeah. And so it's been a real journey with him, um, the same kind of progressive exposure. And a lot of people will say, oh, you know, just let them sort it out. Just put them together, let them sort it out. You know, dogs have a way of sorting it out. I'm like, they might, but the outcome might be very messy and it might not be a nice kind of sorting out. And so, yeah, yeah it's just little little doses patience patience little steps backward forward um and it's really it's, it's really cool that that's it can be applied so universally right uh, yeah well you know these are what i love about reading ancient texts is that they were speaking about you know very very true things that um that um that are a part of living you know we have different words for all them now because we have science and we have neuroscience and biology 
you know, but they were talking about the human experience through metaphor and narrative and storytelling. This, they're the same thing, you know, we're just two different lenses and um, exposure therapy, whether that's um, personified as a, as a Hindu God or whether that can be conducted with rats in a laboratory and tested, it's the same thing. Mm. Yeah, I, I love this. And this is something that I, I, I don't think we can talk about enough and spread the word on enough because I feel like uh, all of these things are still, uh, sorry, still storytelling in their own ways. Um, and some of the stories are told in a scientific format, which is, you know, like having coming up with a hypothesis and an aim and then testing that. And that's still kind of like a story format, isn't it? Um, yeah. And so you've got like a lot of conflict in the world um, to me seems inevitably just a linguistic mess and not really uh there's no mess when it comes down to what we all fear, what we all desire, what we all sort of truly want at the deepest level. It's just the stories we tell and how we go about playing those stories. Yeah. 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 I, I um, in my second book, um, I made a reference to a, um, a test that was done with, with, with rats, um, rat puppies. Um, no, I think they were fully grown rats. Um, when exposed to uh, a picture of a cat or a cat odor. And, um, you know, they, they, so they're basically thrown into a territory and they sorted themselves out into their, into their hierarchies. And the male rats were, um, you know, being the most um, uh, bodacious and boisterous at the top and were, you know, were, were doing, um, you know, they're all playing sexually and all sorts of things. And then the, the cat print was put there and they sprinted back to their den, into their safe place, into their safe place from a contemporary viewpoint. And then very slowly across time, they just were in there and they, they whimpered at a, at a sound of about 48 hertz. Really crazy time. And if you, you know, given a, given a rat lifetime, they were in there for like three months, just, just crying. And then over time, they, they peer out of their safe place and they do these funny little scampers between the, the doorway of where they saw the cat and, uh, and in their safe place. And eventually when they see that there's no cat out there, um, you know, they, they go back to, to playing again, because playing is obviously when you're in a state of physiological relaxation, you start to play and enjoy life again. And, you know, and then I was reading the, um, the story of Siddhartha Gautama, the unawakened Buddha, and he was living a life of privilege, you know, and he had all of these, all these beautiful women and, and everything he could possibly ask for because he was the son of a great prince. And um, the very first time he saw the real world, you know, he was led out on a, on a steer and a horse, you know, he saw an old man dying, a, a poor man, and, a, and, a, and, a, and a, a, so a dying man, a poor man, and a sick man. And every time he saw the truth, you know, that, that awareness, he scampered back into his castle and stayed there for six months before we go out again, right? Mm. So you have this beautiful interweaving of what it's like to be a human. And now only science is catching up with what can be tested and retested. But of course, as you say, science is also just another story. You know, alchemy was the science of a not too long ago time. You know, what's going to be the science of tomorrow? These are just stories, you know? Uh, I love that. What's going to be the science of tomorrow? Um, I remember at uni, one of the studies, uh, one of the subjects I studied was history and philosophy of science. And I don't remember all that much from it. Um, but I do remember that what we today um, praise as the ultimate in testing reality or the scientific method was just born of a splitting off of like 
natural magic or they they called another branch philosophy and it's just it's just an evolution of one particular method but how can that method ever catch up with the inbuilt human experience when that's happening here immediately now in so many mm -hmm. different places um and science is just trying to piece together stories you know there's, there's always going to be this delay right yeah that's that's, that's exactly it's, it's so true isn't it it's uh, i don't know how it could ever catch up with that inner knowing you know and to me you know the 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 newtonian science the objective reality you know one of the things of every action has an equal and opposite reaction it just seems so trivial <laughs> like you know people were talking about karma thousands of years ago you know and and, and actions having reactions you know but of course yeah it's just there's only so far that objective reality can really take us when we explore that. And I had a, um, I had a, a, an astrologer, what was he? An, uh, an astrophysicist on, on my podcast. Um, and I developed a really close relationship with him, but he kept coming back to this idea of how, you know, has science gone too far? Like, sorry, has science gone as far as it can possibly go? Mm. You know, and you, you hear all these people talking like, we've done all that, you know, we've split the atom. We know what's the smallest that small can be. We have protons, neutrons, and electrons, but we have even below that, we have Lipton's, I think that's the name, you know? Um, and then philosophers and spiritualists were saying all these things before, ages ago, that there is, you know, we just live on this funny little, spectrum and our bandwidth is so small that we can't possibly understand how big and vast reality is and what Aldous Huxley wrote about you know that when he take, took mescaline and I can't remember the exact quote but he was looking at the genes and even a genes pocket has realities 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 you know it does seem like science is um yeah slowly catching up to people that lived a long long time ago yeah yeah um when you mentioned the, the spectrum or the bandwidth, the connection I make with science is kind of that um, because it is just one method of inquiry and it has a, a, a rigorous rule set, it's limited in bandwidth. Or if it's exploring one dimension of reality, you can only pull or push that dimension so far without all the other aspects resisting and wanting their attention too. You know, yeah. so yeah. There's, this, there's this question of how do we have well-rounded knowledge um, and I think, as you say, it's got to be, it's got to be a diversity of tools. Yes. It's got to come from multiple areas. I remember, um, reading Alan Watts, he was saying similar things, you know, in, um, psychotherapy East and West, he's saying, it's not enough simply to study biology. You now have evolutionary biologists and then mm -hmm. you can't just study evolution because you have evolutionary psychologists, you know, so you study one thing, eventually it's going to draw in all these other things because otherwise it's like, well, okay, well, that's a dead end now. You know, what, what else do we do? Yeah, with, without reference to some other aspect of reality, you're, you're always treading water and there's, there's nothing to grab. Um, I want to talk about the renunciation chat we had, but yeah, I want to come back to that very soon and just make a mental note to, to cover that because that's cool. Um, but yeah, this truth thing, um, the objective truth to me seems just like a consensus or a web. It's kind of like a spider web or maybe a, a collective neural network where you've got all these people doing their own forms of inquiry and the, for the whole network to get truer or more objective or more 
grounded in reality. They just have to be more connections between the nodes, between the different areas. Like it's, it's got to suspend reality like this. There can't just be separate points. We, we can't coexist yeah. that way. <laughs> you know, man, like the, the unfortunate thing about that is like, I think that is, <laughs> pardon the pun, very true what you just said, you know, that everyone is doing their own kind of form of inquiry, but where people forget, unfortunately, possibly where it's most important is, um, is that politics is also just a big form of inquiry, you know, and every, like we're seeing big things in America now, everything from woke to MAGA, you know, and, and, and people, we're all just, putting these little connections and insights that we have and saying, well, maybe we should take the world in this direction. And maybe we should take the world in this direction. And I got really interested in that not too long ago because especially what's going on in America, it's so divisive. And um, it's unfortunate because at least in my opinion, I believe that the left and the right need each other, you know, like, like progressive people and conservative people need each other to sustain a, 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 um, a well-grounded political realm. You know, you need people that are that are utopians and, and idealists and people that think about tomorrow and go, well, you know, well, that's all well and good that, you know, this is like this, but how much better could it be? We need those entrepreneurial-minded people. But you, you also need the conservatives and you need the people that are willing to say, hang on, that's brilliant, but if we throw this out, we won't be able to get to this. Or that's brilliant, but let's just do this first, you know, you, that they need each other. And it's just so unfortunate that you say, uh, you know, black lives matter, all lives matter. It's like, hang on, hang, we're, we're all stand back enough. We all want the same thing here. You both have true ways of looking at the world. That's going to offend some people, <laughs> but let's work together in how we can all figure this out because your point is so true. We're all, inquiring you know we all have our own experience and no experience is should be left in the dark you know but we should be able to say you know jack that's an interesting insight i've, I've had an insight that's actually completely different to that where 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 are we similar you know and where are we different and it becomes a journey you know and it's um yeah like i said i think it's sad that where where we could use that point that you made um the most is unfortunately the area where it's practiced the least. <laughs> yeah, yeah, 100%. Um, it's, it's this area where we, we lack the understanding of both the validity and the fallibility of our own perspectives. You mm -hmm. know, we're, we're, we're unwilling to, to say your perspective is valid, my perspective is valid, and mm -hmm. we are both fallible. We both don't fully know. Um, where the two parties, if there are two, are willing to agree that that's the framework, you can build. But, you know, Facebook arguments, YouTube arguments, the stuff that's peddled yeah. in the media, that shit is just, people are speaking different languages. Like you're never going to yeah. agree because your fundamental idea of what's real is, is, yeah, different news feeds, different frames of perspective, different lens over reality. Yeah. Yeah. Just, um, yeah, it's, it, it, it is sad. And, you know, it's, um, that different perspective idea is, is really cool. And I think that's one of the ideas, um, was Joseph Campbell's idea as to why the all seeing eye, um, well, I think it's on the U S $1 note. I think it's the $1 note. I think it's $100 note, but the all seeing eye, um, 
the eye of providence is at the top of a pyramid because God is, you know, omnipresent and he, and he, he or she or it, the conjunction of he and she sees all sides. You know, my perspective is on this side of the pyramid. Your perspective is on that side of the pyramid. He mm. can see both, you know, because reality is all of that in the middle, you know, and um, it, it's difficult to, when you talk to people about um, spiritualizing politics or spiritualizing you know, um, that kind of world because they say, well, hang on, we've just done so much good to, to move to a more secular society. We've, we've gotten rid of that bullshit. We've got rid of that dogma, that institutionalized tyranny, you know, but, but some of these aspects, these beautiful ideas, you know, that aren't grounded in any specific religion can really help shape our worldview, you know, and, um, yeah, it's a, that's a, that's a topic that I find really fascinating that spiritualized, spiritualizing politics idea, you know, because those, those, those ideas I think would really help us see the middle ground. It doesn't have to be spiritual. It's probably got a, word, a lot of baggage to that word, but something like that. <laughs> it just reminds me of the, the classic one that, that, you know, every politician should do ayahuasca or do some yeah. massive dose of DMT and that that would fix the world and stuff. Um, you know, we'll give them schizophrenia either way. Yeah, you could either send them completely off their rocker, or it would be great. Yeah. Sounds like a cool experiment. Let's do it. Yeah, I know. I know. Um, yeah, man. Um, and that's that's this this interesting thing, right? Where um, with renunciation, to bring it back to that, we we have these, I guess, truth seekers or these. Um, is people who kind of don't want to get caught up in all the push and the pull of the different arguments and the different lenses and they decide, right, you know, it's, I can't know what's true and what isn't from looking at what's happening here. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to really take a step back. I'm going to withdraw. I'm going to get rid of everything that reminds me of who I am, everything that ties me to my culture um, and just go live in a forest or live wherever and, and, and then see what truth arises from that. Um, but we also talked about the fact that we've both kind of played with this idea and it didn't quite sit right. So yeah. What what are your thoughts on that? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, my journey was, um, you know, being so, um, attached to this idea of being, um, you know, a sports person and then having that taken away when uh, my knee just kept giving out, um, and uh, moving to Bali and seeing a different way of living. And, uh, you know, Siobhan and I going through some stuff as well. And Siobhan going through her own crisis of depression and anxiety and just the world being very different, um, you know, um, to, to, to how it was. And I was doing so much self-exploration with dream analysis, um, meditation. I, I, I felt like I was going insane. Like I felt like the ground upon which I stood was starting to shake and I was falling um, because I had no, um, I felt like I was trying to analyze my ego so much to the point where I started to dissolve my ego. You know, I didn't know who I was anymore. And um, I didn't have a, you know, when you don't know who you are from a practical standpoint, you have no A to B you know, well, right now I'm a Tom and a Tom is doing this. You know, I'm currently in the process of writing a book and I'm speaking to Jack and I have a, an identity because I have a habitual mode of behavior that sustains that identity. And I didn't have any of that when we were living in Bali, you know, I didn't, well, I mean, I did, but it, it wasn't, um, it didn't feel right. And um, 
yeah, so I was doing so much self-exploration. I started thinking, well, you know, is this renunciation idea for me? You know, should I just become a monk? You know, is that, you know, and I was playing around with this for a couple of months, but I all, it, it never felt right. You know, it, it actually felt scary, to be honest with you. It felt, um, it felt um, like I'd be engulfed by a big darkness. Um, I felt very nihilistic um, and I didn't have this feeling of, you know what, I think that's right. And I knew that it wouldn't be for me when I was able to recognize the fact that it felt negative because my uncle was a brother and he dedicated his life to Jesus and Catholicism. And he said that when he went out on a spiritual journey of silent meditation, he just at the point where he was questioning his faith the most, that's when he found God. That's what he says. He says he was in the middle of the night, he got out of his tent and he looked up at the stars and he said, you know what, I don't think this stuff is for me. And he had this feeling, as he describes it, come over him. And he knew at that point that, as he would say, God spoke to him and, um, and, and that was enough for him to uh, dedicate the rest of his life, and he's in his 70s now from memory, um, to, to, to religion. And I never had that. In fact, the idea of doing that scared me. And um, so I think for me, it was just, I felt like at that point, I was kind of swimming in an ocean between two egos. You know, I was kind of in Australia, mm. Australia's an ego. I was I'm not quite in Bali yet, Bali's an ego. And I had to really kind of ground myself and think about, okay, how can I reconstruct an ego that's perhaps a little bit more authentic or feels more right to me? And ultimately the idea then became, okay, well, I need to attach myself to an ego that likes to die a lot so I can be multiple egos, but enjoy changing all the time. So, yeah, but uh, that renunciation idea was, um, it was a deep one. And I never thought I'd reach that point where I was, you know, and of course for a lot of people out there, um, becoming a monk or renunciation feels like the only thing that's right. You know, people have done this from the age of 25 and they're in their eighties, you know, and they, they go off and live in a monastery and they don't see anyone for the rest of their lives. And that could be the only way that they could live, you know, but as Alan Watts says, if you're going to play the game of life, recognize that you're going to have to fall back into the pleasure pain cycles. It just depends on which cycle you're willing to dance with and which cycles you're willing to um, move away from. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's that idea that you, you have some kind of role to play um, that for some God speaks to them um, in different ways and in different places and contexts than God speaks to others. And mm. yeah, yeah. That I, I definitely relate to this, that um, I see people who are very much in the game and, and love to have, I guess, a, a consistent and maybe more easily recognizable identity or ego and that mm. seems to work but they, they seem to be they're not lacking that they're not troubled by it it's not a problem yeah. for them and others who are constantly trying to rid themselves of this ego demon <laughs> um yeah and that's sort of to me just looks like jumping to a higher level again it's like a higher more flattering maybe not higher a more flattering concept of self but nonetheless, you're jumping from one to another. And it's like self is that rope that kind of keeps you in the world. Um, yeah. And the only way I think to let it go in my experience is to create one which hops around. Yeah, um, I think so too. I think that's why I resonate so much with your content because it, it speaks, um, 
on a very deep level to to my values and the way I see the world too, you know. Um, and I love I love reading Randall so much, you know. And he's obviously one that he didn't. So he didn't renounce, you know. He didn't go and live a life of solitude. He actually decided to play the game, and he he often talked about social responsibility and wanting to help people in their lives. And he would often sit with people who were dying, and you know, he would he he lived. He played the game of life, you know. But sounds like what you're talking about there, and you see people who are really playing the game of life and it, it works really well for some people some people you can see that they're holding on for dear life to that rope for whatever reason maybe it was a childhood narrative that was born from a trauma or or, or a a need to keep up with the joneses um you know but um ramdas said you know I, you know when you begin this work most of us and he said us um for an important reason develop a spiritual ego you know, when you start walking around, you're wearing mile beads and robes and all that kind of stuff. And you go, Hey man, you know, you're playing the game of life or whatever it is, you know? And he says, I think it was in brackets. It was like, that took me a very long time to get rid of that ego because it's so sneaky, you know, but both, both are extremes because they're dealing in absolutes. You know, you've got the person who's, and I'm not having a go at nine to five in general. It's your, your, um, your ability to be in that world you know it's your attachment to the nine to five but you've got mr i'm just being serious if you go mr nine to five you know wound up like that dealing in the absolute you got mrs ego you know and she's like hey man yada 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 it's just as bad because they're both saying i'm right you know you're wrong Mm. and then you've got other people who can live in that world and say hey this just works for me so ultimately it doesn't matter how you live it's just your relationship with that life and, you know, that was, dude, that, that lesson was so hard for me. I like, I reckon I was just a fucking nightmare to so many people, like, especially my dad. I wrote about this in my first book, like the whole chapter talking to dad, I developed that whole, not necessarily in the spiritual context, but like berating him for the way he was living. Cause I was attached to this idea of when you've, you've only get one life, you've got to go out there and, you know, you have to fulfill your potential. Meanwhile, I was just hiding a resentment for my own life, but that was projected on my dad. You know, so lots of bumps along the way. hundred percent. I feel that too. I'm, I'm sure I've been a nightmare in the same way. Uh, yeah. You, you discover something which, which quenches your thirst in a particular way and you, and then you <laughs> try yeah. feed it to everyone else. Exactly. <laughs> uh, this is it. <laughs> I guess, I guess I just hope that if I'm still doing that, I'm at least um, doing it in a, in a, I don't even know. Uh, less irritating, more tolerable, or, or, or more consensual manner. <laughs> because otherwise, you just become another religious zealot, don't you? You're just another one of oh, the guys exactly. shouting, waving a flag. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Come over here. Everyone's here. There's like no one behind you waving the flag. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, it's tough. <laughs> um, I, I love that play too um, between Alan Watts and Ram Das. It was a recent post, I think, on on one of their pages, Alan Watts Org or or Baba Ram Das, where it was uh, a conversation, and Alan Watts was saying to Ram Das, "Oh, you, you're too in love with the formless, my friend. Like you, you know, remember that everything in this world is also God." Um, yeah, that's cool. And yeah, I love that. It's just this coming together of two beautiful minds with beautiful perspectives, which are, um, I wouldn't say there's a polarity, but there is a difference. Um, and what connects them, I think, is that they're both open and relaxed enough in their views that they're willing to 
give and take and, and see, they both want to see more of what is rather than reinforce the same thing. Yes, that's, that's great. You know, everything to use the way they will talk, um, you know, everything is God in, in some way. Everything is the all in some way. It's just a different little pixelation or, or you know, little, little pinpoint or facet. And um, I love that. And it, it, there's, a, there's a quote in Behe now. Um, I don't think it was Ram Dass's quote, but it was something like, it was just quit this world, quit the next world, and then quit quitting. And I love that so much because yeah. I read that just at the just at the end of my, you know, to use a cliche journey, I was like, man, that's fucking that's me to a T. Like I was just like, quit this world. I was like, okay, the way I'm living isn't right. So I dived into the Bhagavad Gita. I dived into meditation, and I was like, well, you know, just to the point where I recognized that becoming a monk wasn't for me. I thought, like, well, that doesn't work. So now I've got to get back into the world, you know. So I quit this world, quit the next world, and then I'm like, okay, I'm just going to stop quitting. I'm just going to live. This is the this is you know I don't feel like anything's really changed. I'm just I'm just kind of uh, it's such a difficult experience to talk about, you know. But I, that, that quote sums it up so well. Yeah, yeah, I love. I that's so parallel with with my journey. I think, um, and <laughs> it's tricky because I don't know if I'm still quitting or not. Like, because I know I'm tricky like that. Um, yeah. But I, I also don't hate the fact that I'm tricky. Like, if I'm tricky, I'm tricky. You know, yeah. um, but it's it's like if there's this level of existence, or it maybe here's the identity of Jack or of Tom, and this is you know your house, your job, what you do. You're kind of like zooming around from these different perspectives. Like, oh no, this this guy sucks. Like this isn't working. Oh, oh, let's try from over here. Let's try from over here, and eventually, like oh, I'm just I'm just gonna try it. I'm just gonna roll with yeah. it. Uh, Jump back into the house. Yeah. Yeah. Do the dishes. They haven't been done in a while. Yeah, exactly. The the old quote, um, before enlightenment, chop wood, carry water. After enlightenment, chop wood, carry water. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. yeah they, they, uh, well, I mean, this is obviously, this is obviously why the quotes haven't died in this, in, 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 in after this long, you know, is because every person who has read them generations before us, generations after us will, will get something from them. And I like cliches because they're the ones that have spoken to the most of us. Um, and I probably, they, they will, as far as, you know, before we start to integrate synthetic technology and uh, neural links into our brains, you know, they'll speak to us for a while until we become robots. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's, that's another world, isn't it? That's just, I, a, <laughs> I can't even, I can't even comprehend. I feel like um, in some ways I might just be an ant trying to, to take a bird's eye view of, Victoria, Australia, or the world. Like, it's, you, yeah. you don't know what's coming there. Um, no, no. Well, I mean, some of these were already kind of like that. You know, I'm, 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 I'm so attached to my phone, man. So attached yeah. to my phone. And I can't imagine what it would be like to not have Google around, you know? Um, so I feel like we'll just kind of roll with it. I feel like if you're trying to conceptualize what 2100 will be like, that blows your head. But 2100 won't be that different when you've lived in 2099, you know? So we'll probably be okay. Just that progression idea again. Yeah. The the progressive uh, exposure thing. The (laughs) The idea of it is a a flood, but the the reality is, is like much more creeping. Right. Um, Exactly. 
And yeah. this is when people freak out about, like I know some people who are um, wonderful in the way they think outside the box and they're very open-minded. Um, and unfortunately what sometimes happens with that is that their open-mindedness and their ability to think outside the box will lead them to places which get quite scary and uh, they, they're yeah. going to force, they're going to inject us with chips and all of this. Um, and I don't know whether they will or they won't. Like, look, I take no position. I just don't know. Mm. But an interesting thought is, do we need to be injected with a chip when, you know, people are buying Apple watches, you, you wear it by choice. Like what yeah. is, what is better than needing to force someone to take on a belief or a system? making them think it's their own idea. So, totally. you know, if you're, gonna, if you're going to freak out, you should, it's, it's too late, but don't worry about it. <laughs> it, it is. You know, I, I have a lot of sympathy for those people because that, that's who I am, you know, and uh, practicing being here and now and maintaining perspective has always been difficult for me because I, I am an idealist. You know, I'll just have, 20 ideas flood my head and I won't know which one to pick and go with first. And then all of a sudden I'm like, well, it's all too difficult. And then, so I, I can always fall back into that. So taking one day as it comes, doing one thing at a time, having a to-do list, focusing what I can on, on what I can see and touch. And, you know, from, from a news perspective, like what I see to be true right now. And, you know, yeah, when it comes to conspiracy theories and things, where I'm at with it now is like, I like to hear about them and I like to read them because I think they're really interesting ideas, but I also do feel like they are just conspiracy theories because I just, I just don't think, I don't know. I just, I, I just, I, I'm an, I'm just, I'm an optimist. And I think that, you know, if you look across the times and spans and cultures and all this kind of thing, what what was the general trend did end up really being the truth towards the end. It's like Hitler really was a fucking lunatic, you know? And you know when yeah, when it comes to conspiracy, I'm just kind of like, I got heavily into the 9-11 conspiracy theories and all this kind of stuff. And I don't know. Like I, I'm the same as you, man. Like I, I don't know the truth, you know? Um, but all what I do know and what I really must reckon with is the fact that I'm here right now having an experience i need to make that experience positive for myself and the people around me so is it going to be worth my time and energy to lose myself in a conspiracy theory um and and feel really down and afraid or am i just going to try to tend to the garden mm. you know tend to my part of the garden and i i think uh ultimately the latter is probably going to serve me and, and the people that i love um you know, but yeah, that's just the way I, I see it. Um, and I think, yeah, but I, I think they're certainly interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I, I would hate to live in a world where there weren't any uh, conspiracy theories or where no one said anything unreasonable. And I can't remember who this quote came from. You might know, but um, if <laughs> the, something along the lines of the world wouldn't change if there weren't unreasonable people inhabiting it. Because yes. to be reasonable is to adapt oneself to the reality that seems to be prevailing. Um, yeah. To be unreasonable is to say, hey, what if, what if it's not so? And yeah. that can be a beautifully productive thing. You have to have that. You have to have that. I mean, if I was reasonable 250 years ago, I would have been giving my African slave the cat of nine tails, 
you know, now look at that and go like, that's not reasonable. But that was, that was reasonable, you know? So obviously, again, you know, to um, play the devil's advocate to what I just said before, um, going against the general trend, you know, can like, what are we doing now that in 50, 100 years time? Like, what the fuck are we doing? You know, so that's important too. But again, if you go too far in anything in life, you know, the middle way, my Buddhist friends, <laughs> <laughs> that like just, yeah, we have to maintain perspective and we have to play with ideas, you know, but not from the, not from the point of, okay, I have to go out and just, I have to just throw everything out. And, you know, I'm not a revolutionary in case you can't tell. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't believe yeah. in that. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe in another lifetime. <laughs> Maybe in another lifetime. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Um, you, you mentioned A to B before um, and it, like in the context of having a, an operation system for action and for psychology, something which kind of grounds you and enables you to, to tend to your garden and be there for yourself and for others around you. Um, and when I was thinking about ego recently, I, I came to this conclusion that, that, that it's, it's always going to be there and that this... Um, spiritual perspective of the ultimate or divine aspect of us is also always going to be there. Um, and, and the whole battle to get rid of one or get rid of the other is kind of futile. Um, so how do you, in your life, how do you try and reconcile the two? So you have this A to B and you have the divine lens. How do they play with you? Yeah. Um, yeah it's, it's a great question. Um, I think, so there's two different ways that I, kind of look at that question one is um uh playing with the idea of being an emotional being and a rational being you know so understanding what i should do but also understanding how how i feel how that wants me to act in that moment as well so consolidating those two i think is um one area that i could take that up yeah um the other idea is having an A and a B. So <clears throat> finding a, finding a, a, a path in, in life, because I think that ultimately that's what is, that's how identities are formed. You know, um, I am who I am now based upon the way I act. I would be a different person tomorrow. If I stopped podcasting, people would no longer see me as Tom, the podcaster, you know, even if Tom, the podcaster represents 2% of how I am seen as a totality. But these, you know, these can play around. Um, the way that I reconcile the two is, so I, I found it difficult. Uh, I, was, I was asking this question in my second book. How can I love who I am right now, but also recognize that who I am right now isn't sufficient for who I'm going to need to be? Because I have goals. I'm going to have to up my skills. I'm going to have to continue to live in the world. So... I also want to become someone more, you know, I want to get a black belt in jujitsu. I want to write books for the rest of my life. I want to have kids, you know, who I am now can't take on all of that. I need to upgrade. So the way I reconciled the two was I need to enjoy who I'm becoming because then that gives me a chance to love me as in this moment, Tom Ahern whilst also keeping my eye on the future with goals and having that future oriented mindset. Um, does that answer the question? 
Yeah, yeah, totally, totally. Yeah. Yeah, it was it, it's a <clears throat> it's such a great question because there are some people again that say, hey man, just love who you are, you know, and I agree with that. And then there are people out there that say, well, hey, you're not perfect. You got shit to do. And I love that and agree with that too. So putting those two together and saying, well, I'm enjoying who I'm becoming, that satisfies me. <laughs> I love I love the perspective. It's it's the this and that perspective rather than this but that or one or the other. Um, mm. I think maybe if if all of these juicy discussions have one thing in common, it's the ability to end with an and or to to break with an and rather than a full stop or a but you know mm. um, i mm. think my perspective on this is that maybe my my word choice was wrong when i said reconcile it's like um the idea that we have to reconcile these two aspects of ourselves as if they are opposites in the first place um mm. suggests that we we think there's a problem when it's just the natural expression of a human to, to need a point A and a point B and to also realise that there is some futility in always going from point A to point B to the next point A to the next point B. Um, and, yeah, I, I just love what that means for us. Like I, I feel mm. that the, the A and the B keeps us grounded in time. The ego keeps us grounded in time, in practical action, in survival not walking in front of a bus because you're chasing a butterfly. Yeah. <laughs> and then the divine. Hey man, aspect... the bus is God. It's all good. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> and then the divine aspect is like, oh, well, you know, um, there is a place within you, which is no one in particular. And perhaps that is not something you have to fear either. Um, yes. So... Totally agree. Totally agree. Yeah. You know, it, it's, I think the worst thing that, empirical objective science does um and now they're screwing up because of the quantum world you know where things can well how can a particle be in a wave um and a particle at the same time that's interesting you know i don't know too much about that stuff but that's interesting but things can be two things at the same time you know i'm doing a whole lot of podcasting with the clinical psychologist at the moment and so often he'll have youth um who are affected by drugs and alcohol say to him i do want to stop smoking meth but I don't want to smoke smoking with. And they're both true. You know, they do because they have a life to live, but they don't because it's giving them something so powerful. They're not getting from anything else. So what you said is so true. It's, and it's not, but, you know, we don't live in this. We do live in this dualistic world, but it manifests itself to us as a spectrum, not as one and two. We're not in the fifth dimension looking at, Oh yeah, black and white we're in the space of black and white. Ah, the spectrum or the bandwidth or, you know, the, or the, circ the sphere of different angles rather than the one or the two and the black and the white. I, I love these visualizations, man. It's, mm. um, I think maybe we just need to sort of upgrade our, our framework of what reality is, sort of get more creative, look at more sacred geometry or something. Yeah. <laughs> you know? I know. I know. Um, I know it's, 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 uh, it's, I don't, I like it. Yeah. The, the human experience has always fascinated me. You know, my, my first memory is, is having a panic attack because I was looking, you know, my, my mates were playing on the trampoline in my backyard. I really didn't want to go to the toilet because I wanted to keep playing, but I had to go for a piss. So I went to the toilet and then I was sitting on the toilet and um, no, 
yes, I was sitting on the toilet, so it wasn't just a piss. <laughs> and then I was looking at my hands and I was like, damn, like how did I get in here? And that freaked me out because all I felt a massive separation between living in the world unconsciously and be like, whoa, I'm in here, I'm a self, you know? So I think my, my life has just been one constant um, play with that concept, you know, and it's led me to meeting incredible people like yourself. Um, and um, it, I'm, you know, keeping, hoping, hoping that it continues to do so. Oh, yeah, that's incredible. I'm sure a, a bunch of people who are listening to this have had that moment of what is this hand? Whose yeah. hand is this? Who's driving this thing? What the hell is going on? Um, yeah. And yeah, I'm so glad for you that you had that. Like, I just feel like it's the coolest thing ever, man. Um, all, and all the freaking out that it might come with. It's just, it's, it's like the essence of what it is to be a sentient, curious, conscious being like mm. what's going on here. Um, yeah. It is. It's it's a joyous, uh, freaky ride. <laughs> you know? It's uh, and you know, like there's it's just so much gratitude for the time we live in now as well. I, I just think there's there's always a lot to complain about and a lot to um, you know be sad about. You know, but there is also a lot to be grateful for. I mean, you're in Torquay. You know, I'm in the country. Mm. I'm in Warrigal. We're having a chat in real time. And we're just flowing. That is unbelievable. You know, t- yeah. 20 years ago, 30 years ago, that was magic, you know, that I can see your face. It was total magic, uh, witchcraft and sorcery. <laughs> you know, there's so much that we can do now. The fact that I can write books and get these credited sources of research and information by not leaving this room, you know, 20, 30 years ago, I had to study a degree. I had to be- get a doctorate. I had to go down to the library. I can do all that now and then go to my kitchen and eat a sausage roll. <laughs> it's unbelievable. You know, it's just, there are so many wonderful things about being alive right now that just makes me so grateful that I have this opportunity, you know, and I'm not, and I'm, I don't try to live with this happiness um, to all lengths. You know, I, I try to recognize the, the pain that a lot of people are going through, like with COVID and, and, and that, that storm in Texas and everything happening in, in the world today. But again, coming back to how I function in this world and making sure that I'm the best I can be, you know, I do the work on myself. Um, there is just so much to be grateful for, man. And, I, you know, I would almost go as far as to say that it, it's worthwhile for people to take a second and focus on the good um, because we see the bad all the time. You don't need more bad. You don't need more reasons to be upset. You know, I think it's good to focus on the bad to the degree that it motivates you to do something about it. That's when focusing on the bad can be really powerful. But don't lose yourself in it because then you're no help to anyone, not not the least yourself. And this is your one shot at having a real crack at this ride, you know, and you should take it. That was a bit of a, um, I went for that there, but I, that's how I feel. <laughs> it's perfect, man. I, I love it. I love it. I, I'm so on board with that. Um, and it's, yeah, like, it's not this manufactured kind of gratitude. It's just this reverence for what is happening here and now and reverence for where we are in the world and understanding the fact that, you know, things will always move forward in some way and will always adapt. And it will always seem somewhat ordinary unless we step out for a moment and accept that once upon a time, this was magic. This conversation was, yeah, witchcraft, sorcery, craziness. 
yeah. it's all just relative. It's like the, the bridge is falling behind us or being created in front of us. And we, we can step out momentarily and, and just take stock. Um, mm. I, I wanted to make a point of mentioning um, that, yeah, you're a counsellor, you're a podcaster, writer, you've done a couple of books and obviously you're writing a third one. Um, can you just give us a bit of a summary of, of how these things came together and, and what the books are about and, and where anyone can find them if they want to access that? And also there's a course I know that you've put together. So yeah, heaps of cool stuff to engage with. So tell us about it. Yeah, well, the course is free on my YouTube channel. So um, we, uh, the guy who I made it with, uh, my friend Andrew, um, we, uh, we had the course up there and um, we did the whole selling stuff and, you know, and, and it didn't sell as many as we'd like. And we were like, you know what, man, um, let's just put it out there you know, and if anyone wants it, it was called, it's, it's called find your mission. It's a, it's a total free playlist on my YouTube channel. Um, those tools and practices, um, it's about a six hour course. You can just follow You can just watch the YouTube videos and go through it. Um, that kind of stuff that finding a, you know, cons- sorry, I should say creating a, a path, not finding a path. That was the thing that really lost me. I was like, well, where's my purpose? And I was playing hide and seek with my purpose. It's under this rock. Where, where, where is it? You know, <laughs> And it's like, just create it, create your A to B. This is where I am right now. This is where I want to be. It's a very practical course. Don't create goals that are value driven for 10 years time. Find out who you want to be in six months time. Maybe you got to work towards paying your debt off, you know, or, you know, be very practical, but that's going to start to build that ego stuff that we were talking about. So that's free on my YouTube channel. I don't practice counseling anymore. Um, because I'm right into this content creation stuff. Um, but I have that background in, in physical education, as you and I do, um, and, and, and the mental health stuff. Um, and, you know, uh, studying counselling and, and getting my um, certificate was, was great, you know, and I really loved it. But I fall in love with content creation and, um, and, and writing. And, yeah, so I wrote, um, Yes, I'm Fine, Just Tired, which is about my journey in my early 20s. But You Never Left came out about a couple of weeks ago, I think now, almost a month ago. And that's this whole stuff of uh, consolidating evolutionary psychology and neuroscience with spirituality and religion. And, and really for me, as a personal journey, looking on spirituality with the reverence it deserves, as opposed to just throwing it away and neglecting it and becoming a modern day atheist, you know, I've got a lot of respect for atheism. I think it's done a hell of a lot to help us get out of that monotheism and that idea of that judgmental, eternal suffering, hell stuff. Um, But then going back and looking at some of the the parable and the meaning, the, the narrative that's timeless wisdom, you know, you read that stuff and you're like, man, I don't need to read anything else. I get it. This is, this is it, you know? So that's, that was the second book. And I, I, I just had, that took me three and a half years to write. And I was writing for four hours a day. Like I was really going for that. Um, it actually ended up being four books. I had to cut it down in three, um, in, in three books, sorry, to cut it down one, two and three, but it was a big piece of about 200,000 words. Um, wow. So yeah, the, uh, the book now is, um, it's, uh, it's, it's all about trauma and understanding the subjectivity of traumatic experience um, to just shining a light on people who perhaps feel a little bit of ashamed about talking about their traumatic experiences 
when compared to people who have been severely abused or, or been in a war or whatever it is, just helping them see that based upon your subjective experience and the way that your own body is adapted, that would be significant for you, you know? So this book is called Echoes from the Past. Um, just a little, little um, hit at the idea of triggers and how they can bring us back to the past, um, uncovering the uh, subjective experience of traumatic events. And I've got a fourth book called Ships in the Harbour as well, which is all about balancing building awareness and integrating that awareness. So I'm excited for those two to come out as well. But yeah, man, I'm just going to follow in your books and keep putting the content content out there and as we go along. So, yeah. Uh, awesome, dude. I, I'm, I'm um, <laughs> in awe of the, the ability to break down so much content into um, pieces of meaningful work. Um, and that, <laughs> that's something that I definitely think I haven't got into the sticky end of yet. Um, yeah so time, mate. you'll do it you'll, you'll find the thing that works for you it's already coming it's already coming so, so you reckon just uh keep writing keep training out keep creating and then do you sort of compartmentalize and order afterwards or do you try and do it as you go along so it doesn't get too overwhelming later like yeah well i mean i well but you never left was actually going to be about um the differences between pleasure and happiness so i was looking at you know, the differences between dopamine and serotonin and how long they last and how people feel when they're happy. You know, so people feel content when they're happy, but when people feel excited and pleasurable, they want more and both are good. You need both of those. You need serotonin and dopamine to work together. Mm. So it was, it was just going to be a book about that, but then it's, it just expanded into <laughs> religion, spirituality and, and, and evolution, all that kind of stuff. Um, so I would say, yeah, just, just, um, walk. I just think that Buddhist middle way, the constantly dividing the line between order and chaos and yin and yang is everything. If you feel like you have written too much and it isn't structured, structure it for a week. If it's too rigid and structured, um, start flowing with the writing again, you know? And I think that's how ultimately, I think that yin and yang symbol is life that's how you should live you know so i just i just agree with the uh the Taoist philosophers <laughs> beautiful man yeah I, I resonate so much with that stuff too um it really keeps giving doesn't it it's oh, um always so simple but really penetrates into every layer of reality and and yeah i'm, I'm super stoked that you're playing on the importance of symbolism like that as well um, mm -hmm. in our modern world. And yeah. And I really, really appreciate the, Oh, just the example set. I think I said this to you on messenger, but still like it's um, it's a wonderful thing to see that in this day and age where um, we can create from our houses or from our phones or whatever. Um, yeah. You fully stepped into it and you run with it and it completely inspires me to the point where now I'm, I'm like, Oh, look at what this guy's doing. I, I have to try it. I have to give it a red hot crack. Totally. Yeah. I'm inspired by you, you as well and everything. When I see you doing your stretching and your movements and, and your, you know, I, I think you're a brilliant writer, dude. I really, really love your writing. Um, it really, you know, probably because you and I um, see the world in a very similar way. Um, I just think that the way you write, you know, we're always our worst critic. You know, when I write, I'm like, fuck, like that was too complicated. You know, and I read something like you, and I'm like, man, he said exactly what I wanted to say, but in a better way, 
you know, so I think we, um, we really kind of help each other there. So it's good. <laughs> it goes both ways. Uh, yeah. yeah.